We all know there are times when you don't have many choices in who you work with, like when a pipe bursts and you need a plumber right now. But when it comes to your mental health, you should have choices so you don't get stuck with a therapist who can't remember what you tell them every week. To find a good therapist for you, try ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including thousands of mental health providers. We're talking about therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments, either online or in person. I use this, and you should too. Go to ZocDoc.com stronger and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash stronger. ZocDoc.com slash stronger. Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential, no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin, psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and an international best-selling author of five books on mental strength. Every Monday, I introduce you to a guest whose story and expertise can inspire you to think, feel, and do your best in life. And the fun part is, we record it all from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Do you try to avoid doing anything where you might get rejected? Have you struggled to get over a past rejection? Do you have a hard time coping when you are rejected? If you answered yes to any of those questions, today's show is for you. Whether you got stood up by a date or you get turned down for a promotion, rejection stings. But nobody ever teaches us how to deal with rejection. Sometimes we become motivated to avoid rejection at all costs. And if we do get rejected, we want to pretend like it didn't actually hurt. Or we don't want anyone to know, so we don't tell anyone what just happened. But the truth is, rejection is something everyone experiences. And we all have the ability to learn how to deal with rejection better. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Ronald Siegel. Dr. Siegel is a psychology professor at Harvard who has written several books, including The Extraordinary Gift of Being Ordinary. Some of the things he talks about today are why rejection can hurt so much, how to deal with the fear of rejection, and how to cope when we are rejected. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. It's the part of the show where I'll give you my take on Dr. Siegel's strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Dr. Ronald Siegel on how to cope with rejection. Dr. Ronald Siegel, welcome to Mentally Stronger. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today about rejection specifically because I hear from so many of our listeners and so many of my readers who say, how do you recover from rejection? Or when you get turned down for something, uh, what do you do? Or it's embarrassing. So maybe we can start by just talking about that. Why does rejection feel so bad? Yeah, you know, I, I think this has to do with our evolutionary history. Um, you know, the human brain and therefore our minds and our hearts and our feelings evolved for survival rather than happiness. 
and, uh, you know, anything that was going to help pass on our DNA and, uh, you know, allow us to survive, allow us to reproduce, allow us to care for our kids was going to be selected for. And if we think about life out on the African savanna, it was a death sentence to be rejected, right? If we were, um, if we didn't have the rest of the community, we were probably not going to survive for very long. And in fact, there are some anthropological records or archaeological records um, that suggest that uh, back in the day, humans were using ostracism all the way back to the very earliest um, remnants that we have of human organizations. Because what they would see is they would see the uh, the artifacts from the group that was living in, in some small area. And then there would be, you know, indications that somebody was living a bit away and was cast out. And in fact, you know, we have the English word ostracism. And uh, this comes from ancient Greece, in which there was actually this ritual in which when somebody had done something bad, uh, something that violated the norms of the society. They had to uh, pick up these these shards of um, of pottery that were called ostras, and it would basically, if you were if you were given that, it meant you had to leave the society for a certain amount of time. Uh, the interesting thing is that after that amount of time, you were allowed to come back in, but the idea was that you would be miserable being rejected in this way. And the reason is because we're so hardwired to feel like we need to be part of the group. There's another aspect too I just want to put in, which is when we're growing up as a human infant, we are also totally dependent on our parents. If you could imagine, or some adult caregiver, if you could imagine being rejected by your parents as an infant, what's the prospects for survival would be there, right? Basically zero. So we have both from the history of being on the savannah and our developmental histories, we have a super, super strong reaction of, I don't want to be rejected. So, and that boils down to applying for a job and you don't get it or requesting somebody go on a date with you, they say no, to not being invited to something that you were hoping that you were going to attend has this trickle-down effect, right? These little things in our lives on a daily basis, they still sting a lot, right? They all can, they can, they can all resonate with that very basic instinct to want to be included. And then we have another problem, which is part of the way our brains evolved was to shut down on, push away or distance from pain, right? This is part of a very natural tendency we have to avoid pain generally, right? You, you could see the survival advantage to not stepping on sharp things, not putting your hand in a fire like that. that that's going to be important for surviving and passing on your DNA also. Even bacteria will avoid a toxin and they'll, they'll, they'll gravitate toward a nutrient. This desire to avoid pain all shows up in our emotional lives as this very automatic tendency when something hurts to block it out in some way. So what do we do these days? We turn our attention to our devices. We check our phone when something painful happens. We have a drink or use some other substance. We call somebody up. We do something to distract ourselves from the pain. The problem is, as one of my patients put it so aptly, when we bury feelings, we bury them alive. So they don't just disappear, but they linger. And they're constantly, because the psyche has a natural self-healing propensity, everything that we've pushed out of awareness has a propensity to want to come back into awareness. So all of these past hurts, all the past rejections are hanging around, lingering 
in our unconscious, just waiting for a new circumstance that's going to remind us of them. So let's say we get turned down for the job today or don't get invited to the party or or uh, somebody refuses our overture to go on a date. It's not just the pain of rejection here and now that we're suffering, but it's resonating with all of the past pains that maybe we pushed out of awareness, being past, picked, you know, last for the kickball team in the third grade, or just having our older brother or sister wishing that we wouldn't hang around with them because it wasn't so cool to have the little kid around, or other times that we didn't get the job, didn't get the good grade, uh, or got rejected. So um, that makes us doubly vulnerable. We're not just vulnerable because we have this instinct, but we're also vulnerable because what hurts us now is going to resonate with all the old hurt that we didn't integrate then. So we've got a whole big pile of hurt. That makes sense, The tying it back to the other times when we felt that same emotion. And do you find, is it worse when it's a public rejection? Like sometimes you might apply for a job, but nobody knows. And if you don't get it, you just don't tell anybody. But maybe your entire company knows that, oh, this person's going for the promotion and then you don't get it and everybody knows. And it tends to feel kind of worse, right? Yeah, well, this is, this is the curious way in which rejection and acceptance ties into self-esteem or self-evaluation, right? Because when we, one of the ways that most of us try to feel good about ourselves is by getting positive reflections in the eyes of others. In fact, there's a fellow by the name of Cooley who is the first... Um, uh, sociologist uh, around 1900 or so. And he coined the term looking glass self. And this is the old meaning of looking glass for a mirror that you hold up. He says, our whole sense of self is based on the images of ourselves that are reflected in the eyes of others. So when others look upon us with favor and they say, oh, I like you, Ron. Oh, I want to hear more from you, Ron. Oh, would you be my friend, Ron? Would you come on my podcast, Ron? Thank you for inviting me and raising my self-esteem a little by doing so. Uh, when we get that kind of feedback, we feel good about ourselves. But when we get rejection, well, then we're looking in the mirror and we're seeing that we're not good enough in some way. We're not wanted in some way. Maybe if it's really painful that we're not fit to be part of the human family and we feel a sense of shame. So when this gets known, it's like a public declaration that we're either valuable, good, likable, or wanted, or a public dec declaration of the opposite. So we hate, we hate public rejections. And look, it's one of the reasons why, you know, you look at the, um, uh, you know, early American colonies when they would want to punish someone, what would they do? Well, okay, they'd, they'd put them in these stock and pillars, which were, you know, uncomfortable. Those of us who visited uh, Williamstown or Jamestown or these other <laughs> recreations of, uh, of early American culture uh, have probably seen these. Yes, they're physically uncomfortable, but they were publicly horribly embarrassing because everybody was going to see that you were the bad person who did the bad thing. And now you're on public display for that. And that's probably why I think some people are more scarred by getting picked last for the kickball team, maybe than getting an F on a test. If you fail the test, whole class doesn't necessarily know, but everybody sees who gets picked last for the kickball team. Absolutely. And, and all of us, all of us are subject to either being stressed out much of the time, trying to cobble together our self-esteem and feel good enough about ourselves, trying to get achievements, trying to get likes on Facebook. We, we should talk about this because acceptance right. and rejection is happening all the time. Sorry, I'm an old geezer. I said Facebook, but Instagram, <laughs> um, TikTok, whatever it might be. Um, trying to get approval in some way versus disapproval, or even worse sometimes, uh, this feeling of being uh, ignored. 
Do you want to get high-quality meat delivered straight to your house? Or in my case, a sailboat? Try ButcherBox. It saves me time and money. And if you order right now, Mentally Stronger listeners can get steak, chicken, or salmon free in every single order for an entire year. I love that ButcherBox offers grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood. There are no antibiotics or added hormones. They even offer vegetarian options. ButcherBox lets you decide how often you want deliveries, and you can pick a curated plan, or you could completely customize your box. Sign up at butcherbox.com stronger and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer, plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com stronger and use code STRONGER to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Hey, do you have trouble sleeping? Then maybe you should check out The Sleepy Podcast. It's a show where I read old books in the public domain to help you get to sleep. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of... Classic stories like A Tale of Two Cities, Pride and Prejudice, Winnie the Pooh. Stories that are great for adults and kids alike. For years now, Sleepy has helped millions of people catch some much needed Z's, start their next day off fresh, and discover old books that they didn't know they loved. So, whether you have a tough time snoozing or you just like a good bedtime story, fluff up the cool side of your pillow and tune into Sleepy. Unless you're driving, then please don't listen to Sleepy. Find Sleepy on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes each week. Sweet dreams. Well, let's talk about social media for a minute because it's a very strange thing that we get instant feedback from people, right? If they like your right. photo, they give you the thumbs up or they make a comment on it versus when you post something and you get almost no reaction at all. What's that doing to us? Well, the um, uh, psychologists study this and they love to, people, to put people in uh, functional MRI machines, which are basically video scanners of brain activity and see what's happening in the brain when people are fed social media feeds. And they actually make them up. They're not real social media feeds, but they're manipulated social media feeds. And every time we get a like, there's this squirt of dopamine in the nucleus accumbens, which is this reward center in the brain. And it's the very same part of the brain which is activated when we have sex, snort cocaine, have a win at gambling, anytime that we have a feeling of, hey, hey, look at me, I'm doing something great, uh, we get this, um, uh, this activation of this uh, reward center. And uh, it's highly addictive because all we have to do is take a moment to reflect on how it felt to be accepted or wanted, whether it was getting the job or, and we should dig into this more too, you know, the person who re we were really attracted to and really liked seemed to like us back and, you know, how that feels inside or just the other kids invited us to do something with them, how that feels inside compared to the opposite, right? What it feels like when, you know, the person we like says, well, could we just be friends? Or when the job says, you know, you're an excellent candidate, but just not a good fit for right. what we want, right? Or or all, all these other moments. So there's this wonderful feeling, right? And I'm, I'm sort of hamming it up here a little bit. This wonderful feeling when we feel wanted and desired because it makes us feel special and good and part of the group and all that. And this horrible, horrible sinking feeling 
If we were a dog, we'd have our tails between our legs, right? When we get rejected. And whenever there's a huge difference between one feeling and another feeling, it's a situation where we humans are very vulnerable to addiction. And you know, cocaine, for example, snort cocaine, you feel very, very good for a little while. When it wears off, you feel very, very bad. What do we do? Where's the cocaine? Can I get more? It's exactly the same thing that happens here. So when we get a like on social media or somebody reposts something of ours or in some other way we get approval, right? We feel really good about ourselves. When it doesn't happen, we start to crash and we start to desperately seek, can I have another up? Can I have another positive reinforcer here to once again, help me to feel good about myself, help me to feel likable. And sadly, as an addictive loop, we get more and more and more stuck in it so that more and more of our very sense of self is predicated on how are we doing? What's everybody thinking of us? Do you find, are we more likely to to chase achievement or just avoid being rejected? You wrote this book, The Extraordinary Gift of Being Ordinary. But how do you find that balance of like, I'm not going to really take a risk because I don't want to face potential rejection. But also at the same time, sometimes you got to put yourself out there and try new things. Yeah, no, it's a great question because they're really two sides of the same coin, right? That Mm -hmm. that, um, the sometimes we don't try new things because we're afraid of this feeling of of collapse or rejection. Sometimes we do try new things because we're desperately trying to get the next dopamine hit, right? We're, tr- we're, we're trying to get this, uh, uh, this success experience. Um, what's actually most helpful to us is if we have a way to work with it when we get the disappointment. Because many of us don't, as I mentioned before, what a lot of us do is we just we just move to distraction, right? Like, oh well, I feel kind of crappy. Let me start, you know, um, surfing the internet or checking my social media feeds, right? Let me do something to distract myself. And then again, we're stuck with that trauma, if you will, small trauma perhaps, but trauma, you know, still sitting there. If instead we have a way to take care of ourselves when we get disappointed, when we get rejected well, then we're going to have a lot more resilience because we're not going to be afraid of it and we won't be afraid to put ourselves out there. And let me let me share a little research about this with you. Um, a good friend and colleague of mine named Kristen Neff is, is uh, the world's leading researcher on self-compassion. And she points out that when things go wrong, and this is particularly true when we get rejected, three things happen. We tend to get very self-critical right? We talk to ourselves in a way we'd never talk to somebody else. You idiot. Why the hell did you post that? That was so stupid, right? You idiot. Why did you, right? I don't say that to other people. If I did, they wouldn't be my friends, but I wouldn't have any friends, but no problem saying that to myself. Uh, The second thing that we do is we tend to self-isolate. Just as you were saying that we don't want other people to see that we didn't get the job, well, what happens is we try, we pull back from the world when we feel like we failed or we've been rejected or we, worse, we are a reject, right? This, this sense that, that it's not just something that's happened, but, but it's a, uh, this is a referendum on who we are as a person and whether we're valuable or not. So we pull back from others and then we get very self-preoccupied, right? We get into these loops where when we're feeling rejected, we're just thinking about us, right? Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not capable enough. You know, whatever it is, we, we, uh, we torture ourselves with, it, with this kind of thing. 
And she suggests that the alternative is to develop self-compassion. And self-compassion means instead of self-criticism, to try to greet ourselves with kindness. Instead of um, self-isolation, we notice our common humanity. And instead of self-preoccupation, we practice mindfulness. So what would this look like? Let's say, I'll give you an example if, if, um, if we were taking care of a kid, because I think it's easiest to see there. Let's say um, it's our kid and, um, you know, uh, let's say, you know, my, my son comes home from, uh, from elementary school and he's really crestfallen because he really wanted to play baseball. I guess they let everybody play in elementary school, but let's say middle school or something where they, they start to weed out the good kids for the team. Okay. And uh, comes home and didn't make the team. And he feels rejected. And his self-esteem is, is in the sewer. And if we're thinking about, you know, helping him recover again, the way most of us recover, we'd say, well, you know, I know that that was disappointing, but you were great in basketball in the fall. You were a star player and, uh, you know, you were great on the math team and you're a great kid. Don't let this get to you. If we were trying to help the kid cultivate self-compassion, we would say, we'd start with kindness. We'd start with, oh gosh, that must be so painful. I, I know how hard it is when this kind of thing happens. And then we'd move toward common humanity. We'd say, you know, we all win some and lose some. I remember when you're, I was your age, I was really into drama and I so won a part in the school play and I didn't make it. I, I, you know, I didn't make the cut. And I was moping around for a while. It really hurt my feelings. We all get our feelings hurt this way because we all get rejected sometimes and don't get what we want. And then instead of self-preoccupation in terms of the, the thought loop, we just practice being sweet to ourselves. In, the case, in this case with the child, we'd say, let me give you a hug, sweetheart. And we'd hold the kid. That's what we want to be doing for ourselves, right? We want to be able to say, oh, of course this hurts, you know, and think of all the other people at this moment in time who are hurting because their heart's broken because they got rejected in some way. And then taking that, and if we have the courage to be honest, maybe talking to a close friend, maybe talking to, um, uh, to a relative or a partner about this, but sharing it in some way. And then what this does is instead of distracting us and, and letting the trauma accumulate as yet another sore spot that's going to get activated the next time I am or I fear getting rejected, instead of that, we've been able to heal it a little bit, right? We've been able to give it a little bit of love, a little bit of kindness, feel the sadness and disappointment, but then not be, you know, not be so impaired by it. And what there's been a ton of research on, uh, on self-compassion and it correlates to all sorts of good things in human development, one of which is the ability to bounce back, the ability to have an academic failure, a social failure, a work failure, and instead of just shutting down, withdrawing, and giving up and avoiding it because it's too painful, we feel like, well, I'll be able to take care of myself. I'll be able to give myself a hug if this happens again. I'll be able to talk to a friend if this happens again. And that actually gives us the courage to go out and try it again, because ultimately, the what we don't want to fall into, but it's so easy to fall into, is starting to think, well, I'm a reject. Nobody's going to want me, so I'm not going to reach out. I'm not going to try to be part of the human family again. And that easily you know, leads into this kind of uh, depressive, discouraged spiral. Those are good examples because our tendency is often the opposite. As you say, we beat ourselves up. But if a loved one gets rejected, we try to minimize it by saying like, oh, you know, 
something better will come along anyway. Point out something positive or remind them like, oh, the, the coach didn't know what he was doing or he chose favorites. Right. That's why you didn't make the team or your boss is an idiot for not hiring you. And we say those sorts of things because we don't want other people to be in pain either, but yet we're kind of just glossing over it and pretending like they can move on without acknowledging, yeah, this yeah. actually does hurt. We, we, we do so much better to acknowledge that this is so universally human. I mean, you know, going back to prehistory, people have had, had their hearts broken when they felt rejected. Um, and if we can acknowledge that and acknowledge our humanity, we're much more likely to heal ourselves. And, and I think this is super important when it comes to romantic rejection, because, um, you know, here's an area, you know, I just invite you, uh, you don't have to talk about if you don't want, but any of us and, and those who are, who, are, who are watching us to just think back to an early love relationship where somebody who you really liked, liked you back and what that felt like. And in that moment, a whole lifetime of insecurities are wiped out, right? This special someone who I think is high value values me. Wow, I must be wonderful. And, you know, all the kickball team incidents, all the younger brother incidents or whatever, we each have our own stories, right? Whatever they are, are gone for a little while and everything is great because I think you're wonderful and you think I'm wonderful and then we're wonderful. And it all works well until somebody leaves the toilet seat up or somebody doesn't call when they say they're going to, or something happens and the sort of mutual idealization ruptures. And then, oh boy, you know, the agony when right. this other perfect person suddenly is mad at us or is withdrawing or, or this kind of thing. We start to see how much of our attempts to feel lovable and feel like we're not a reject and feel like we're good enough, how much of this you know, gets powerfully supported in romantic love relationships and then can crash terribly. And it takes a while for most of us in our relationships to gradually evolve from this kind of, wow, my partner's the greatest thing ever. And because they like me, I'm great too now, instead of being a reject, to go from that to, well, my partner's an ordinary human being and I'm an ordinary human being, and we happen to have found each other, and we actually support each other, and we're actually honest with each other, and we're actually real with each other, and that is very, very sweet to be connected in that way. I'm very glad they're in my life, but not because they're better than anyone else's partner, not because I'm better than anyone else's partner, but just to come back to the theme of the book, we're ordinary human beings who have learned how to connect deeply to one another, and therefore not live so much in a world that's about acceptance, rejection, acceptance, rejection, going up, going down, going up, going down. Let's face it, money is the one subject we all need to deal with, but no one actually wants to talk about. The good news is there's a podcast helping you learn everything about money no one taught you. Meet Everyone's Talking Money, hosted by me, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money and just helps you get in a better relationship with your money no matter what your goals are. Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, that makes total sense. And it's interesting that we tend to generalize it, right? If we get turned down for a promotion, we think, well, I'm not smart enough to get a better job anywhere. Or if we get turned down by a love interest, it's nobody will like me anyway. And we think that it's not just this one person's opinion, but we think the entire world must feel this way about right. us. And it's fascinating to see how our, you know, how our grading system works. Is, is it like, okay, I'm a reject. Now, is that because of the number of 
rejections I've gotten in the last hour, the last day, week, month, decade? Or is it a cumulative GPA since adulthood, a cumulative GPA since childhood, right? Like, how do we even measure this? I, and, and I think what many of us find is that we have some preconceptions from childhood, right? If we felt like we were the run to the litter or we were different from the other kids or, you know, some of us have these, these pretty negative narratives about ourselves from childhood. Others might not, but we're going up and down based on, you know, the acceptance or rejection of the moment. But it, it, it can give us a little bit of um, perspective to just realize yeah, where did this whole, where, where did this measuring system come from, right? Very true. How, how did I get hooked on this particular way of deciding right? whether I'm good enough or not? Do you think that we could get better with rejection if we, if we expose ourselves to it? Somebody who says, you know, I'm going to invite 25 people to have coffee with me, knowing that probably 20 of those people might say no if you go for a long shot. Does it get easier the more that we do it? Uh, absolutely. I, I think there are a few things I, I, that, that can come from this deliberately putting ourselves out there, knowing we're going to be rejected, means that we're taking this attitude of, okay, well, let me see if I can get better at handling rejection. Because the, the idea isn't so much to get accepted. I mean, it's nice, but we're freer if we can tolerate rejection, if, we're, if we become um, okay with it. And you know, a lot of behavioral psychologists, uh, and this goes back many decades, will advise people, okay, I want you to go out into some very improbable situations. We don't do this particular one anymore because of, um, I think, more sensitivity to what um, uh, what uh, sort of uh, um, you know romantic come-ons are like for the person who's being right. invited. But but you know, back in the day, it would be something like if it was a guy, let's say, who was very insecure, to say, okay, I want you to you know try asking ten women for a date something like that, knowing that most of them are going to say, what are you crazy? You know, right. we wouldn't do that anymore, but the equivalent of that, right. To, um, of, uh, you know, um, call people up or, or text them and they, you know, ask them if they, you know, they want, they want to go to lunch or go to go on a walk or whatever, you know, just try it. Even if it's not at all successful, simply to discover that, oh, well, I don't die when this happens. It's really just a feeling that I'm afraid of. And then I think the working with the self-compassion becomes so important, you know, finding a way when it does hurt to be kind to ourselves about this. Because when we can be kind to ourselves, then we start to notice that yes, it's painful and it passes. Um, it's like crying, you know, I mean, yeah, no, crying is painful and it passes. And having cried, we're usually much more at peace then had we not cried, had we just been sort of anxiously running around trying to keep the feeling um, at bay. So, you know, absolutely putting ourselves out is, um, is part of the process. I think the most important thing, though, is having as our goal, not so much, how can I win at having other people make me feel good about myself by accepting me, but how can I get a little bit of perspective on how this dance works? And a little bit of real of understanding. Okay, there's a very basic human emotion, and I have the courage and the strength to feel this emotion. I don't have to live in fear of it because um, if we continue to go around the world as though we think it, that we're a reasonable person to have a relationship with, and we do make overtures toward people, sooner or later we will make friends and we will 
have acceptance. And, you know, so many of the things that we think, I mean, this isn't universal, right? There, there are, I, I just want a, a little aside. You know, there are some ways that people are judgmental of others. There are people in marginalized communities that in other communities are just never going to get accepted no matter what. I, I, I don't want to gloss over some of the, the, the structural injustices that, that exist in our world. Um, but even given those, if we move through the world as though we actually aren't trying to prove ourselves, but we actually sense that as an ordinary human being, we're perfectly lovable, not because we're special in some way, but just because we're, we're who we happen to be um, and continue to make, take risks, chances are we're going to find connections. And the good news is we're likely to find connections with people who are interested in being genuine friends, who are interested in you know not finding somebody who's going to be a feather in their cap or where they're going to gravitate toward us because you know we're the cool kid and now they get to be cool because they're with us, but with people who like want an honest friend and and those kinds of relationships, based on being ordinary, um, are so much more enduring than the ones that are based on, hey, you're really cool or sexy or hip or well-known. I want to be with you. There's something incredibly freeing too about talking about our rejections. When I was young, I was the queen of like, I'm never going to tell anybody that happened. If I got, I didn't make it into grad school, the first grad school of my choice, I think I crumpled the letter up and probably didn't tell anybody because I always thought, well, as long as nobody knows, then, then I won't feel that bad. But there's something incredibly freeing about saying to people like, hey, guess what? I applied for this job and I didn't get it. And here's what happened instead. And then you're able to make much more genuine connections, other people, because it is such a relatable thing. Other people then feel comfortable in saying, hey, guess what happened to me too? Absolutely. One of the institutions that uh, the high school my kids went to had, which I thought was brilliant, was the wall of shame. And when it was college application time, everybody took all their rejection letters and they, they pasted them up on the wall so you could see everybody else's rejection letters. And it was like, and if for precisely the reason you're saying, it, it's very, when we can go from isolation to common humanity around this and can have a sense of, oh yeah, everybody gets their heart broken. Everybody gets disappointed. This is, this is part of what it is to be human. Let's come together around that. Ah, oh, it's such a relief. And yeah, if, if somebody's at the top of their game and they're, you know, they're winning at whatever competition they're involved in. They may think, oh yeah, well, that's just for losers. As a friend of mine put it, I know many people who've been ruined by success, not that many that have been ruined by failure. You know, oh, when, I like that. You know, when, when we can open to this stuff and just be real and, and just join with others, it is such a relief. And um, the answer does not come from winning at this game. The answer comes from learning bit by bit to be less addicted to this game. I love that. All right, then one last question for you. For somebody who's listening and they're thinking about doing something, but they're terrified of like, oh, but if I don't get it or if I get rejected, I'll be too hurt. I don't know if I can handle it. What's your tip for them? My tip for them would be to first just spend a little time reflecting on times you've been hurt in the past and see if you can actually feel the feeling of the hurt and just start getting curious about it as, as something in the body, right? Like if I go back to one of my rejections, I could do it right now and close my eyes. I feel it. I feel something in the pit of my stomach. I feel, you know, I'm starting to curl over. It's an actual physical sensation of they don't want me, right? 
And to just start to hang out with that and notice that it's just a physical sensation, right? It's hardwired. It goes back to our ancestry that, that we started talking about at the beginning, but it's just a physical sensation. And I can feel this. I have the strength to feel this and give you, you know, let yourself experiment with it. And the more that you're able to experiment with this by recalling what it felt like in the past, the more you'll notice, okay, so if this is going to happen now, I'll just feel it. And you know what the really good news is? Nothing lasts forever. It continues to change. And especially feelings. We imagine that, that, you know, a feeling of disappointment or rejection, oh, I'll be stuck in it forever. Nothing's forever. It, you know, it, it, can, it continues to change. And just to have, um, have faith in that, have faith in reality, because that is reality. Oh, Dr. Ronald Siegel, wise words. Thank you for helping us figure out how to deal with the sting of rejection better. Thanks so much for inviting me. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I'll give you my take on Dr. Siegel's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of my favorite strategies that he shared. Number one, let yourself feel the pain. Dr. Siegel talked about our tendency to distract ourselves or to escape the pain when we get rejected. We scroll through social media or we busy ourselves with anything that we can so we don't have to think about how bad we feel. But he says the best way to heal is to let yourself experience the pain. In fact, he suggests we look back at the other times in our lives when we felt the same disappointment, embarrassment, or rejection, and try to allow ourselves to sit with those uncomfortable feelings. You might be able to connect some dots and realize that not getting invited for lunch with your coworkers now reminds you of that time that you didn't get invited to a party as a kid. Or not being chosen for a special project at work might remind you that you weren't chosen to be on the team when you're in the fourth grade. Acknowledging your pain and letting yourself feel it for a bit now might actually help you heal some old emotional wounds. Number two, talk to yourself the same way you'd talk to a friend. I like that Dr. Siegel suggested self-compassion. It's a strategy that we can all learn and practice and improve on. So just ask yourself what you'd say to a friend. When our emotions are high, it's easy to blow things out of proportion. You might start thinking no one likes you just because one person turned you down. Or you might tell yourself you're not good enough because you didn't get one opportunity that you wanted. Put things in perspective by giving yourself the same kind words that you give to a friend. You'd likely say something kind and encouraging to a friend who felt rejected. Practice speaking to yourself the same way. Those kind words go a long way toward helping you work through the emotions, not just avoid them. And number three, talk to other people about your rejections. I'm so glad that Dr. Siegel suggests talking to other people, but I know the last thing that you want to do when you feel rejected is to tell other people what just happened. Beware of the urge to say, well, I didn't really want that job anyway. If you actually wanted the job, acknowledge, yeah, I really think I would have been a good person for that position, and I'm disappointed they didn't agree. Choose carefully who you talk to about the rejection, though. If your mom is going to say something like, oh, don't worry, something better will come along, and you won't find that helpful in the moment, find somebody else to talk to. 
You might not want sympathy or someone who minimizes your feelings, even if it's done with the best of intentions. But you might have a friend who you know can relate or another family member who will validate your feelings. But don't be afraid to tell people that you got rejected and to say it stings a bit. So those are three of Dr. Siegel's strategies that I highly recommend. Let yourself feel the pain, talk to yourself the same way you talk to a friend, and talk to someone else when you feel rejected. If you want to learn more of Dr. Siegel's strategies for dealing with rejection, check out his book, The Extraordinary Gift of Being Ordinary. If you know someone who could benefit from hearing more about strategies for dealing with rejection, share this show with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help someone feel better and grow stronger. Do you want free access to my online course? It's called 10 Mental Strength Exercises That Will Help You Reach Your Greatest Potential. To get your free pass, all you have to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Then send us a screenshot of your review. Our email address is podcast at amymorinlcsw.com. We'll reply with your all-access pass to the course. Thank you for hanging out with me today and for listening to Mentally Stronger. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, who I don't think gets rejected very often, Nick Valentine.